Welcome back to the podcast. My name is Trisha Friedman. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. On today, I am so excited to bring you a leader who really embodies what it means to be nurturing a network, to be fostering community, and to be expanding a conversation so that it really does push for change. I hope you enjoy this episode. You'll hear us refer to a number of links. Everything is over there for you in the show notes. Enjoy this episode. All right. Well, thank you, Trisha, for having me on. It's a pleasure. Um, number one, I want to say I love the name of uh, you know the group Shifting Schools, because I think a lot of the work that a lot of folks um, in the international school ecosystem are, are engaged in and have been engaged in is on looking at sort of who we are um, identity-wise and what, what are we doing, what do we do well, but what can we change and what can we do better? Um, and so um, it's a pleasure to be on with you. Uh, my name is Kevin Simpson. Um, I always like to start by saying I'm a kid from Flint, Michigan, born and raised. Um, so I have a little Midwest roots and I also have some Southern roots. My parents moved um, from South Carolina to Michigan. Um, education, when I think of I guess my story, I wasn't originally an education major. Um, I worked as a part of a program called the Young Spire Program when I was at Michigan State, and they connected the university with the a local with local schools. And I had a chance to um, serve with a principal and teachers there, and that was my sort of entry and my, my um, coming to understand and see education live and in person. And I applied, added on as a double major, and while I've been um, in the field since 1998, officially. Um, and then overseas, uh, this year will be year number 17. So 17 years ago, I first went overseas and being Chin Lao. Um, it's my first international school, first time living outside of the U.S. Um, had an amazing experience. Still in touch with my first head of school, John Ritter. I always like to give him a shout out. And um, from there, um, ended up setting up after coming back actually um, in 2007, so 15 years ago this year, set up um, KDSL USA, which then sort of shifted to KDSL Global. And then working with learning organizations, schools and institutions all over the world. And uh, again, like the, the, the work that you're doing, of course, I really appreciate you taking the time to have this conversation because we are just three days away from the start of the Summer Institute, uh, launching with the incredible uh, amazing Ceci Gomez Galvez. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that. Um, you know, anybody who has seen her present, you know, it's an incredible experience. So still time to sign up for her session on translanguaging. Again, I think that'll be an amazing opportunity for folks who can make it. Um, Kevin, you know, I love that you give a shout out to your former head of school because I think a lot of folks are actually going to point to you as the leader um, who was influential in their career. And I want to go back to, um, I'm going to do that weird thing of quoting you back to you. Uh, in, in a previous interview, you said, quote, if you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. I love that. The quote is from 2016. And I'm wondering if you could talk to us a little bit about the ways that you encourage not only yourself, but others you work with to change the way that we are looking at things in the world of education. Definitely. And I, that's one of my favorite quotes. I think I remember reading it on a, a Jill Scott album cover. Um, and I forget the author, which I should look up. <laughs> um, and I think when I think of so many people who um, 
throughout the years I've encountered who had said or expressed an interest in teaching overseas. And at certain times, there's, there was always this coming back and this coming back me and they had another conversation with me. And it was, I went on the website and I looked, but I didn't see anyone who looked like me. And that would come up very often. And I thought, wow, like that's, I don't want that to be a deterrent as to why people don't apply or they don't have this experience, you know, because they're interested in it. They may have heard someone else's story. Someone gave a testimony or share and things like that. Um, and I think just for me, when I think of just lens or goggles, I think that's the constant theme, the day-to-day, -day. sort of the, the work that I, which doesn't even feel like work, to be honest. <laughs> like, it just, um, a lot of this, to me, I don't even, I don't even call it work. I don't even call it work. I don't even, you know, I'm sort of like titleless um, when it comes to it. I think a lot of it is, um, you know, we heard so often during the height of the pandemic, reimagining. You know, we need to reimagine education. And I think for myself and for other colleagues who I spend um, the bulk of my time with, like this morning I was on a listening circle with a lot of our partners in schools, it's on looking and seeing what's possible, spending time reimagining, spending time radical dreaming, um, spending time in a state of what if, what could be, um, and being, being open to reinvent. And so I think a lot of times, um, those are the types of conversations, you know, that I'm engaging with when it comes to research. So part of ALOC is an association of international educators and there's a color, our sort of threefold is advocacy, learning, and research. And those really were um, selected because those were things that we didn't see, you know, and thinking, talking to the leadership team and thinking of areas to focus. So we didn't really see a lot of research on folks of the global majority. You didn't really see that or hear that. And now we have a team that a lot of doctoral students, PhD students who are exploring topics that are have not been explored. Looking at Black women in leadership, looking at um, different identities across the board. Um, we advocacy. Being able to have someone having a conversation when something is a situation happens at your school or your organization um, where there's harm that has been caused. Like, who do you go to? Who do you talk to? Is there a group? Is there an individual that you can reach out to? Um, that can advocate on your behalf. Um, and I mean, example last week, I mean, there was a, a situation that had been prolonged and um, the, the it's an ALOC member, she, she, she kept me abreast and she called, she said, I'm gonna send an email, I'm gonna copy you in it and let them know I want you, know, you to be a part of this. And basically everything that that member asked for, she got, there, there was no need to have you know, and another conversation. And I mean, and I think it's that piece, it's just knowing that um, there's an individual, there's an organization, there's a community who's gonna look out for each other, you know, when things happen, because there's a lot of stuff that's happened um, and happening. And then um, learning, you know, a lot of times uh, we look at who, who leads learning, who gets to lead learning, whose voices are there, but also whose voices aren't there. You know, and part of, you know, there's obviously this debate of calling in and calling out. And for us, I'm like, if someone posts something publicly, to me, it's public so we can have a discussion publicly, you know? And so we will call out. If I see, and I know I've asked, when I've been asked to speak on panels or at conferences, I ask those questions around um, the racial and gender and the, the makeup of the audience to make to sure that there's gonna be that diversity so that there was some planning and some thought that went in so that we don't, it's not a, you know, homogenous in terms of everybody's looking to sound the same on panels and, and presenting. 
And so, you know, there's been situations where I didn't hear back, you know, or, um, or I just said no, because I mean, either you're not providing evidence or you just don't want to engage. But our thing is making sure that we're living it. You know, it's not just in words, but it's in our actions and it's in our day to day, which is a lot of that work is couching our international educator equity statement. I love that. And, you know, that sort of that disruption to the status quo there are so many different action steps that we have to take towards that. And on an episode of a great podcast, the Educator Concierge podcast, you remind us to question what it is that we actually mean when we say international in the world of international education. Um, and I, I think there's a lot of terms or there's sort of a lot of um, concepts that we're talking about, but we're not checking and saying, wait a second, when you mention that, what is it that you're talking about? And that, that questioning can be very, very relieve, uh, revealing. And again, with what you are doing, do you think that we're getting any better at authentically having kind of that curious mindset, that honest stance about some of these umbrella terms that get tossed around all the time, um, but perhaps haven't been interrogated for a while? Yeah, great question. And I feel like, you know, when we hear intercultural, global understanding, global awareness and international internationalism, those are, again, those terms that we hear often. Um, and so an example, you know, I saw recently uh, within this year, there was going to be an international conference held in Asia, but there were no Asians who were speaking at, you know, so it's that type of thing. So when we say international, like, what do we mean? Because on that, in that case, it was like mostly men, mostly white. And so again, it's like, who's defining international? You know, and how, how are they defining it? And so I think it is, like you're saying, I think it's one of those things that is a constant ongoing that we as an ecosystem and as a global community have to define, you know, and we have to, to question and to challenge. Um, and so I, I think that's one of those things that it takes all of us. And I, again, I definitely have seen that be a constant. And also at the table, you know, I think one thing for us is we always like to make sure that we center those voices of students. You know, we have, we work with Reset Revolution and um, the organization to decolonize international schools, but it's ensuring that student voice is in on those conversations too. You know, we saw a lot of um, alumni and a lot of students calling out and calling in their own or their own schools, you know, schools that they had graduated from or schools that they're attending. And so I think part of that is making sure that when we're looking around, you know, at the table, and I say this so often, if we're doing curriculum planning and we don't have scholars here at the table, that's, you know, that's a problem. That's, that's adults doing the curriculum, you know, so where are, where are the voices of the kids and not after an afterthought actually at the table building and co-creating together. And I think in the same vein with um, these terms, you know, that needs to be a part of it in terms of like the definition. I, I couldn't agree more. And again, you know, just to, another kind of word that gets thrown around all the time is agency. And you're absolutely right. If you believe in agency, where are the students, you know, in your ecosystem of professional growth and professional learning? I think that's such an important point to bring up. ALOC has offered so many opportunities for learning. Um, and again, the, the last one that I attended, as you say, you had students there. Um, it, it's great to see that. As the founder, when you're looking back um, on the story of that community's growth, it started as an affinity group on Facebook to where it is today. Can you point us to some of the fundamental decisions that were made that you think they've had the most impact? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think the first one is just being more public. You know, I feel like 
when we started, it was, um, you know, a colleague of ours was told, don't apply for that. They want a white British man. And I was her reference. And so when she told me that, of course, it didn't sit well with me. And I'm like, all right, so either, you know, either how do I, what do we do? You know, so for me, it was like a call to action. And that's when I set up that Facebook group because um, I really wanted to engage in conversation like, is this, you know, who we are? Is this happening to others? And then others were chiming in. And it was just like, I, for me, I was like, no, nah, this can't be it. So I want to make sure that we're amplifying and folks are hearing and seeing and knowing. Um, who's out here, who wants to be out here um, and involved. So I think part of it was going public, being a little bit more public because we were very sort of private. Um, and it wasn't, I think until 20, 2018, 2019, we started to make a little bit more noise um, when we did a, when it was, uh, we had members in China um, who were impacted by um, being called, called out and called all kinds of names publicly um, and being sort of looked at as the cause of COVID spreading. Mm. Um, and then when I'm getting emails and getting calls and WhatsApp texts and like, this is going on. And, and so our sort of first reaching out, meaning reaching out to the international community um, was, hey, we can see what other organizations are there, what kind of support's going on for people because they were like very uncomfortable, they're on edge, people were like, I can't sleep. Um, and then you had a, a range, some schools were saying things, some schools weren't. Um, and I think that's when we really sort of got a little bit more public, um, and which was like in 2019, 2020. Um, and then we reached out to different organizations and really, to be honest, one organization came back. So it was like the International Educator Titan Line was the one that said, hey, we just saw this and we definitely agree. Let's, let's, let's have a chat. Um, and for us, I think that was sort of like the beginning. So um, of that whole notion of, you know, when something goes wrong, it's not a, we don't need to cover it up or try to figure it out. It's like people are being harmed, you know, and it's like, they're not gonna be effective, you know, and their well-being and their wellness is, is compromised at this point. Um, and I also think from the, the stance of thinking about just impact is a lot of the things that um, when we look at the groups, you look at any sort of offerings, they, they come from members. You know, I say that all the time. So we recently had an ALOC BIPOC parent meeting that was led by Christina and Dion. Dion um, talked about you know setting up a research um, group. Um, we had Jessica who set up uh, um, and Yvette set up the Asian Pacific Islander group. Yeah, Nadine and Mona with the Black Women International School. So we have so many different folks talking talk to Giancarlo about uh, LBGTQ plus issues. So we have so many different folks who are leading groups, leading learning that we support. Um, Sarah set up the Swana group. Um, Estelle Rama. Um, Kamisa and Kwame are doing the African allyship group. So these, all these ideas, they don't come just strictly from like the leadership team or the advisory council. These are memberships. So members will come and propose things. And I think that's a big piece of, you know, just building a community and knowing that they know that we're listening, we're hearing them um, and we're here to support them. Um, and then overall having an identity affirming space. Um, I can't even number the number. I can't remember the number of times where it was you know, I felt like I had to be someone who I wasn't um, in the different international spaces that I moved, whether conferences, meetings, and things of that nature, but being able to just show up and be myself, be who I am. Um, and I think so many people talk, you know, and speak to, you know, ALOC as a haven and a place where 
when I show up virtually and now we have people who are doing meetings, you know, like we had, we had some folks that did meetings in Hong Kong. I just saw an email about DR, people want to meet. So it's like people are, as people are traveling and interacting, they're just starting to, to connect um, with others. Um, and I've definitely seen shifts in recruitment. And let me tell you, Trisha, so here's an example. We have folks that will share, you know, with others about their schools. So when you want to say, you know, it's one thing to post on the recruitment website, so members are now talking to other members and letting them know what's going on in schools. You know, is this a safe school? Is the school really devoted to doing the work? Is this a school that's focused not only on recruitment, but also on retain, retaining teachers and developing them? And I've definitely seen people that have been public and saying, um, I listen to such and such, I talk to them, and I'm going to that school because of them. I've seen that a lot in the last, um, especially over the last year, year and a half. Um, so you have this this sort of um, shifting and moving too as well. And that's really, you know, that's that's the power of the network. And, uh, you know, that's, it's so critical because, uh, you know, as a member of the LGBTQ community myself, you know, I've been in those situations where I'm interviewing, it's my turn to ask questions. And I'm asking the head of school, you know, what's the climate going to be like for me there? And, you know, I'm seeing... We're, we're almost at a point where, you know, to my question earlier, things are a little bit dangerous where some schools know the quote unquote words to say without really understanding uh, what's what those words are all about. Um, and, and so I think that transparency in the network supporting each other is is meaningful beyond words um, and, and is, is just so powerful. So I'm, I'm glad to hear you talk about that. And I, you know, I can only hope that that continues because it's, it's necessary. Um, we are just a few days away, as I said earlier, the, the start to the Summer Institute, the lineup is incredible. Uh, you know, the, the opportunity for learning, for conversation is just huge. And I'm wondering if you could talk to us about some of the behind the scenes collaboration that goes on in preparation for the Institute and perhaps how that collaboration mirrors the DEI policy that you have shared on your website. Of course, um, listeners, you might want to just pause right now, go to the show notes, look at the Summer Institute, sign up for some sessions, and then also check out that DEI policy and, and come on back. Um, sorry to interrupt Kevin, but uh, I think if you haven't seen the lineup yet, um, you will want to for sure. No, definitely. And um, like you said, the so what we do is we sort of look and see um, what's been discussed, what, what are some of those areas and topics throughout the, the academic year that people have come back to, things that have come via email, our community sessions, um, through the different um, meetups that folks are hosting and see what are sort of the patterns and the trends. And then again, looking at voices, voices that um, you know, may have had like sort of like maybe one or two sessions in some place, but not as much, but we see that there's a need. So I think that's sort of like the behind the scenes. And then we, we reach out to facilitators um, in the community, folks we know of, um, to, to lead those sessions. And those sessions are, are two hours. They're recorded. So, you know, just because of a uh, time zone. So if people can't want to go to the session, they're like, ooh, that's, you know, 8 a.m. Australia time with Dolene. We record the sessions and they'll be available for folks. So if they register and can't make it live and in person, they'll get the recording. Um, and so I think that's a, a big piece of it. And then we just, with each, you know, just sitting down and um, the facilitators submit, you know, those materials and um, write-ups on their sessions. And so, like you said, we have like Daniel, 
you know, with session on identity. We have Dolene, the session focused on just like teachers and uh, activism. We have Cheryl Ann, who's focused on like navigating um, boundaries. Um, we have Ceci, who's doing a session on translanguaging. And then we have a, a session for leadership with Joel and Margaret being led. And again, that was our thing is uh, last, because last summer was our first summer launch. And it was sort of launched like, people really want more. You know, I think that was things like people are like, uh, is there going to be something in the summer? <laughs> like, what's going on? And so I think that's where sort of start is sparked from. Again, so the members and people were saying, is there, I used like, I need a break, but is there going to be something offered? And so we said, well, let's, you know, offer a, a summer institute. Let's make sure people can access it. And of course, our thing is if people can't access it, reach out to us because there's definitely like, you know, we give people access. We don't never want cost to be an issue. Um, we want to make sure that that is, um, that there's equity in terms of being able to attend. Um, and we, you know, we keep it low as well. We know it's, it's pretty much a, to make sure that again, people can access things, um, materials and learning. Um, and like you said, in terms of like how it aligns to um, our policy, just around like diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging and anti-racism. I think a lot of that will be couched in the presentations and the, the various topics. So you'll see um, brought to life when it comes to equitable spaces for multilingual learners with um, SESI. Um, you'll see things such as um, inclusion and belonging as it relates to identity in the session with Daniel. So you'll see a lot of that. You'll see, you know, thinking beyond and as a leader, what's your role um, in terms of being an anti-racist leader in the sessions with like Margaret and Joel. So you'll see a lot of those elements of um, things from our international educator equity statement, as well as in our own policy. And so I think that's the big thing is like, like you're saying, constantly coming back to those because those drive so much of the work that we're doing. Yeah, and and again, uh, you know, in terms of an organization modeling, here's our values. Here is them as an experience. It's still rare, I would say. So, um, you know, again, that that's really powerful. So, for folks who are just or you know curious about what that means, um, come along. I I think that will be your your experience as well. For anyone who's following on social media, they like me may see, hey, you've got some news around a fast pass. I'm hoping you can just expand on how that works and how that might work in conjunction with the Summer Institute and other opportunities, because like you said, there's 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 constant opportunities, which is great. We need that. We need the conversation to be sustained. So can you tell me a little bit more about the fast pass option and, and what that's going to mean for us? Definitely. And again, like we say, a lot of this is driven by members. So one of our members out of Switzerland, Shireen Ali Khan, came and she said, Hey, I you know I know that the summer institute's coming, but at the same time I'm going to be renewing my membership, and at the same time I know the conference is coming. So she's like, it'll be cool to just have like a fast pass where it's like you just pay for stuff all in one go, and you just have access to this as well as any other sort of learning throughout the year. And we're like, okay, let's talk, let's talk to folks and see what they think. Um, and then you know I I told her said no, I think it's a go. Folks are talking. We had our um, future planning session, and some folks put some ideas down around it. We're like, let's do it. And so this is more or less, it's like, it's a like, a, once you like, if you get the fast pass, you basically are registered for all those things. So you get access to all the summer institutes, whether you come live or you need the recordings, the conference membership, and then just ongoing professional learning that we're offering throughout the year. So anything that might have a cost, because rarely do you have, when we have our learning sessions and webinars and community sessions, those, those are free. Because again, we want the entire international school ecosystem to be a part of that. I will repeat, we want the entire international school ecosystem to be a part of that. And so I think that's one thing too, because um, we've had folks that email and say, oh, I want to make sure I can come to this. We're like, learning is for everybody. It is open. You know, and it's like, 
the groups when we have our space, our special, uh, our groups, special interest groups or affinity spaces, that'll be specific, but everything else is for everyone. Community sessions is for everyone. Conferences are for everyone. Um, <laughs> Summer Institute for everyone. Webinars are for everyone. Because again, we want everyone to hear and see, um, to learn about um, others. And again, to make sure that this, when we think about identity affirming space, that they you know, experience it as well. Um, and so, yeah, that was the idea. So definitely shout out to Shireen. Um, she's super excited. I, I, I told her first, I was like, hey, remember your idea? We're, go we're going for it. And so, um, but yeah, I think that's the piece too, is when you have an organization, a community that again, listens fully to folks, you know, and honors them um, and, and just is able to make those decisions and do put into place those new things. Mm, yeah, it's sort of, you know, is, is the community truly a space where ideas we're welcoming, welcoming them from, from everywhere and anyone, or is it really just about gatekeeping, power hoarding, having a hierarchy and reaffirming that structure? Um, so that's great. And again, um, link to learn more about the fast pass will be over there in the show notes. Something that, that you do that I really appreciate and I try to do on this podcast as often as possible is there is a lot of learning to be done. Summer is, for some of us, a, a time where maybe we can get the headspace to dig into some resources that we've been hoping to get to. Um, I, I'd love to just know what is maybe on your reading or viewing, listening summer list. Um, is, there, is there a resource that's kind of like just in your reach you're hoping to get to? Um, we, we'd love to just sort of add to that that building list of resources that um, help us all have these conversations. Definitely. Well, I know there's, uh, there's one thing I have is there's a, um, a Coursera course that I started some time ago. So the University of Virginia, you know, you start it and you sort of keep going. I think I'm in like module three or five. So I've been creeping through along, you know, lifelong learning. And so I think part of that is, you know, coming back to that. And I think that's, you know, with me, with books, I, I was talking to a colleague yesterday and I said, I have books that I'm like, I can just sit and I can just just eat, devour them. And then there's some books I just call them slow reads because I just want to like, you know, there's so many sentences and paragraphs and quotes and I get, you know, lost in like the visuals and it's just, I want to just munch on it, you know, and just like sit back. And so I definitely, number one, um, one of my members of ALI, he was actually here in Dallas, Texas last week, uh, Patrick Harris II, he has a new book out. Um, called the first five of love letter teachers i just started i think i'm on chapter like almost done with chapter two again one of my slow reads um it's pretty amazing so he's um chronicling just his journey as uh, a young educator um working in multiple schools he also worked in qatar um he's back in the states now and so um and i know him you know patrick he's based in detroit michigan now um one i saw recently on twitter and i saw it, i was like is that a book you know um love 90s hip-hop r&b so i looked up and said there's really a book on this so it's called it was all a dream biggie in the world that made him so it's all around about notorious big um just started a couple pages when i was on a plane recently so that's definitely going to be one of those my pool book i have my pool books too, too at the same time um and then a few years ago um ascd i had a chance when i um i started the gcc ascd to um invite dr tom Err out to dubai he had um, a book, the um, Formative Five, back then, and he recently did a book called "The Principal as Chief Empathy Officer." And you know, just looking at the title, you think, "Oh, okay, empathy." But the thing I'm loving about this book, and again, it's been sort of one of my slow reads on the leadership side, 
is he's talking about like radical empathy, talking about relationships um, and being just rigorous and being so mindful and self-aware of yourself as a leader. And I'm like, I am really loving it. And this is one of those books I have said, I've been telling some leadership organizations, international leadership organizations, this should be on one of the book lists for your leaders, aspiring and or um, current leaders in international school. I, I love that. Thank you so much for all of those recommendations. And of course, Kevin, just thank you again for your time. Three days out from the Summer Institute. Links are in the show notes. If you can't catch the Summer Institute, go get the Fast Pass anyway, because like you said, the community is offering so much all the time. And it really is an identity affirming community in a way that is is really really rare you know i am a middle-aged person now and i would say it's it's taken until this point for for me to sort of see that as an ecosystem for learning and i think that's the ecosystem for learning that's truly going to be transformational um, for our entire community so thank you so much i know you don't call it work um, but the joy that you are spreading is is very meaningful and um, i just again really appreciate your time today Definitely. Thank you, Trisha. Thanks again for listening to the podcast. In closing, another opportunity for you to learn, be in community, and develop self this summer. Hello, everyone. This summer of learning, we are opening a space for mindful self-inquiry on racial literacy and intercultural competence. This coaching program will take place online over four weeks. We will be meeting for one hour every week to delve into concepts of identity, anti-racism and cultural understanding. This is in order to understand our positionality as teachers or as leaders in the classroom or at the institutional level. We do know that this is a first step for building equitable learning spaces. To gain racial literacy will help you see the world of the classroom or the teaching and learning through the eyes of your students or the pupils that you serve. So we hope you can join us. The program starts the 5th of July. Uh, we'll share the registration link in the description. Hope to see you soon.